Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman and welcome to the PR Weekly John Harrington, PR Week's UK editor, is back. Hello. How are you going, John? I'm good, thank you, Arvind. I'm recording this on Wednesday and I'm very nervous because of a certain um, sporting occasion happening this evening. Although by the time everyone listens to this, you'll know the result. Well, we will know if football is going to come home or not, won't we? We certainly will. And how optimistic are you? Well, the problem is everyone's going (laughs) to... By the time people listen to this, they'll know whether I'm right or wrong. I mean, I, I do think England will just about sneak past but I think it will be a very difficult game against the Danes um, so when you listen to this and we've won 6-0 you can uh, you can you can <laughs> feel within your rights to mock me um, as much as you can but I don't think it will be 6-0 I think it will be a very uh, nervy game and I think England will just about win it yeah I agree I think it'll be very close but I think football is going to come home at least for another round which will be the final against Italy anyway in this episode um, John we're going to discuss Khan Line, the purpose awards the government's new COVID public health messaging, PR recruitment and salaries, and maybe a bit of euros at the end. Today, we are joined by Lanson CEO Tony Langham and Red Havis Managing Director Rachel Sansom. How are we all? Very good, thank you, Arvind. Delighted to be here. I'm delighted and I'm I'm preparing to go to Wembley, actually. But, but I'm delighted uh, at the Are you moment. serious? Your tickets? That is <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you obviously think football is is definitely coming home. Uh, well, I, I go with Peter Schmeichel's answer was, um, I don't think you've ever won it before, so how can it? <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with logic. <laughs> anyway, let's kick off with um, Khan Lyon. Now, Rachel, you were a judge for the PR Lions. What were some of the trends and some of the PR campaigns that really caught your eye? Um, well, I think in terms of, um, I, I mean, I think what it was very interesting in that COVID definitely didn't dominate the entries, which was obviously quite surprising. Um, but everything was, a lot, I think, I think there was a general greater tone of empathy, which was to be welcomed. Um, I mean, in terms of key trends, it happens every year. Technology marched on. I thought there were a lot of campaigns in the PR category that used deep fakes. They used deep fakes. Deep, deep fakes. Sorry, deep fake really? technology. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, sometimes that was used as a force for good. Sometimes it was a bit of a stunt. I think there is a challenge for us as a PR industry in terms of how we utilize that technology moving forward, given that we have to deal with fake news, fake influencers, etc. Um, but that was an interesting innovation. And I'll be interested to see, you know, how that technology is used as we move forward. That is really interesting because... No, I, I didn't realise that deep fake technology was being used so much at Khan. I mean, is this something that that's relatively new? Yeah, I mean, I believe so. I mean, I think we sort of saw deep fake technology kind of, you know, hit the news agenda kind of towards the end of last year in a mainstream way. Um, and we had to judge 20 and 21 entries, and it was only the 21 entries that we saw it starting to be used. Can you give us an example of how it's being used? Yeah, so um, there was a campaign that was done in Mexico, um, and it was around kind of cessation of violence around uh, the cartels and drugs, etc. And they actually uh, brought back to life an activist that had been killed by one of the drug cartels using deepfake technology to head the campaign. Um, as I describe it there, that might sound a bit vulgar. It was obviously done with the backing of his family, etc. Um, but I mean, actually, that was one of the examples where it you know, it was used at least purposefully. There were some other examples, and I'm not going to name names, where it was sort of used as a bit of a stunt mechanism. Um, and I'm not sure that's really an appropriate use of the technology moving forward. Um, there was also actually another campaign from the US where around gun violence cessation, where, um, a, you know, a teenager had been killed, was brought back via deep fake technology to campaign for gun violence cessation. So again, you know, there's a huge amount of moral questions <laughs> attached to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But it'll be interesting to see how it pans out as we move forward, basically. Tony, what's your view on that, using deep fake technology for PR campaigns? Yeah, well, I, I sort of applauded it in the in the Mexican journalist case because it clearly was with 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 the, the go ahead of of his family, and it clearly had a had a major impact, and it was a winner. I, I'm sure, Rachel, I saw it in the in the winners, mm. so I think it was that's that's a fantastic example. I think we're going to go to this horribly worrying world of of deepfake videos being all over our society, and I think I think they're going to start future future political scandals that uh, you know the the term deepfake is going to be used as a defense mechanism by people in real situations and it's going to be used most worryingly i think at the last minute in election campaigns so i think i i think i can only be be deeply worried and i i sort of my head goes off into the area of you know the area of society where we're going to turn to the tech giants and say you should do more to to flag things and control things and i suspect this is going to be Maybe this is going to be 2022 or 2023's big government to big tech conversation. Absolutely. John, um, what was your take on the can lines? I mean, Danny wrote, uh, Danny Rogers, our, our editor in chief, wrote an amazing piece about how PR agencies are, are starting to win more different categories rather than the PR lines. Um, how did you view you know, the lines in general and, and how some of the PR agencies performed? Yeah, well, it's always every year is the, you know, like clockwork, there's the debate about how PR agencies have performed and particularly the fact that they don't seem to win that many of the lines in the PR lines category. Um, and mm. I do think, as Danny sort of made the point, it's sort of we need to look beyond that in a way. I mean, I I do think it's about more than just that category, um, although it's a shame that PR agencies don't win more. But you've got to look look at things like the sheer number of entries that ad agencies submit. Although it's a shame, I I, I don't think it's 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 uh, as terrible as some people make out. But there are some real um, breakthroughs. Um, Edelman, in particular, won 
some significant awards in other categories. And it, it and as Danny makes the point, it is uh, it does show that PR can kind of uh, move into so many different areas. Ultimately, is such an important thing because you know uh, this is an industry that generally has fared better than than others. Dare I say, better than the advertising industry over the, the period of the pandemic. And I think part of its uh, strength is the ability to adapt and to um, move into these other areas like, um, you know, a purpose, ESG. That's my sort of overall take on it. Going back to the, the, the deep fake thing, it's interesting that every year there seems to be a kind of theme that was probably very novel, sort of six months, nine months before the actual awards happened, when everyone was thinking, oh, this is going to blow people away because they think it's all really new. I remember probably five years ago, it might be the first time I went, um, there was uh, the chair of the lines then, of the PR lines, spoke about emoji fatigue, how every award seems to be, oh, and we've proposed these new emojis and we've got these new emojis mm. for saving the whale or selling cornflakes or whatever. And um, they were really quite cynical about it. And I wonder if, you know, deep fake is going to be next year's emoji in the sense that um, it seems it seems sort of creative and novel now. And we're, we're, we're all very interested in it, but these but things can either sort of, uh, become very mainstream or become very cliched. But um, yeah, overall, for the for PR world, um, I don't think they should be disheartened. I think quite the opposite. You know, obviously, it's always better to win more. And I think there was kind of a lack of independent, particularly independent UK agencies, even getting shortlisted this year, which was noticeable. But I don't know if that's just to do with the fact that there were cutbacks during during COVID and people entering other awards. So I imagine there probably was an element of that. John, just to build on that point, actually, I think having, I mean, obviously I was only in the PR category, but um, there were no entries as far as I could see from independents. I didn't see all all of the entries, but I did see a fair amount of them, you know, during the shortlisting process. And I think in terms of PR agencies being more successful, my main takeout now having sort of been on the inside is like more confidence. You know, the work that we do, particularly in this market, will totally match some of the work that was coming in from elsewhere. And I I sort of wonder if we lack a bit of confidence in really putting our foot forward. And I think, to your point, resources is also an issue because you do have to have a really good case film, etc. I I think um, from the PR leaders that I speak to, it's about prioritising which awards you enter. And and Khan's lines isn't necessarily at the top of that list. Um, But I I totally agree. I, I think some of the work over here you know, easily would have won many more awards if it had been entered. Um, but yeah, I, I just think how many awards can you enter? And I think some of the independent agencies particularly um, are very much focused on the industry awards and the ones that matter more for them in their day-to-day life. Absolutely. Speaking of awards, John, our Purpose Awards came out last week. Um, were there any campaigns that really caught your eye? Yes, it's interesting you talk about agencies, you know, UK agencies particularly sort of focusing elsewhere. And it really feels like um, Purpose Awards has been been one of those. And obviously Purpose is one of those themes that goes beyond emojis and deep fake. And it is uh, 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 here to stay, I'm Definitely sure. Definitely on emojis. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I don't think any emoji uh, campaigns won. But um, I mean, there were a few. I mean, I, I think it's worth shouting out um, one campaign that won uh, a hat trick of, of awards, which is Climate Store by uh, Prime Weber Shanwick mm. for Felix, which is a sort of supermarket group in Sweden. It involved a pop up grocery store in which is kind of the price inverted commas of food would be sort of linked to its carbon footprint. So basically, it's it's a really good way of showing uh, customers the carbon usage. Um, incidentally, it also won Campaign of the Year at the PR Week Global Awards, um, and it was shortlisted at Cannes, I believe. 
It's a brilliant idea, and I really hope it takes off. Like, like it should actually be happening, shouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, there are a few others as well. I mean, there was a brace of awards for this one called um, a Fabric of the Community uh, by uh, W Communications for Grenfell Athletic FC. Sh- yeah, which effectively kind of shirt sales from celebrities um, to raise money for the community football club created in the aftermath of the Grenfell fire. So that was really good as well. I mean, I, I think generally some of the, the, the trends I was noticing with the Purpose Awards, both well, both at the awards, but also can and other, other award schemes, is it does it does seem to me that Purpose Awards are kind of developing and maturing recently. It feels like maybe the kind of creative element of, of it and the originality took a bit of a backseat during the sort of the depths of the COVID crisis last year. But uh, when I think brands and companies were sort of focusing more on kind of comforting messages and how they can help rather than what sort of creative out there ideas they can put in place. But I think that's sort of swung back a bit more recently. Mm. And, um, and obviously as... Which is good, which is good to hear. It is, yeah. And I think, you know, and obviously it's easy to do that once kind of the economies open up and things like shops open up. I mean, if, if you were having strict social distancing, a pop-up grocery store probably wouldn't work. I mean, obviously this is in Sweden, where, as we know, they didn't um, do that to the extent that other countries did anyway. But yeah, it kind of looks, as, it feels to me as though uh, a lot of purpose campaigns are getting more focused and there's sort of more... In, emphasis on long-term commitments really rather than necessarily kind of jumping on you know any kind of good cause i'd like to get tony and rachel's view on this on on purpose generally i i think it's i think it's really interesting i think we all talk um i think most of us talk this year esg purpose it's the year of esg purpose we try and talk to organizations about their core purpose everything clearly works better if organizations are living uh, it 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 right through the pores of their skin as an organization like ikea does for instance i think Mm -hmm. we're all intimately involved in that we're all i would say particularly speaking personally i find myself pointing out um, where organizations aren't aren't walking the the walk as well as talking the talk so i find myself holding back organizations sometime and suggesting different routes i think it's a Maybe it's a function of, of, of being older in the industry. I, I, I'm, I'm really conscious of charges of purpose washing and green washing and, and diversity washing, etc. I think it's really important. I think it's. I, I, I hear what you say about things are fundamental, and obviously that's what I believe in. But you mentioned Grenfell. It is really, really important if organisations can connect with community and connect with society, and often the things that people instantly respond to are the things that are happening now or things that have just happened or things that are sweeping TikTok or Twitter or whatever it is. So I, I think there is also a case for organisations. If, if you know what you stand for, um, I think you can act quickly. And I think there is a case for, for, for responding to immediate events if it activates particularly younger people um, to, to, towards brands and, and, to, and to do good. Mm. Rachel, I mean, a lot of people will call out companies that are hypocritical when they have these purpose campaigns. What is your view on it? Well, I mean, I think as um, Tony just said, I think the days of purpose washing are well and truly over. I think, you know, everybody can spot it a mile off. Can You know, whatever your stakeholder audience is, you cannot get away with doing purpose for purposes sake anymore. It's got to be baked into the heart of the organization. And I think one of the things that I've sort of found really encouraging in my client conversations over the last year is how seriously people are taking their purpose-driven initiatives, how it is being championed from the top all the way down. People want to be real about it. They want to be authentic. They want it to mean something. 
you know, they want it to make a difference. So, and you know, I, I think this is nothing but a good, good trend in, in organisations um, generally. I think just popping back to Cannes as well, I think actually it was really encouraging the lack of purpose washing that we saw. And on the few, I mean, literally there were a handful of cases that were very obvious, you know, purpose washing, which obviously got discarded um, quite quickly. You know, we've seen some really great moves, like John Lewis earlier this week announcing that they're going to, you know, build housing that will be for rent. It sort of reminds me of going back to when Unilever set up. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I also think, Arvin, if I can, I also think we, we mustn't lose sight of purpose with a small p. I mean, people live complex, difficult lives. Many people struggle with them. I mean, the, the organizations that bring joy um, deliver you food when you want it, deliver you fashion goods when you live in the middle of nowhere. Um, the, the things technology and others do to make life wonderful. The, the purpose with a small p is, is massively important. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't forget that in our search for purpose with a capital P around ESG. Purpose in general should be absolutely tied to, to the business, shouldn't it? I mean, it should be tied to the business strategy and, and what that business performs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Let's move along to the big announcement in the past week. The government is planning to remove all COVID restrictions on the 19th of July, despite rapid increases in COVID cases and hospitalisation. Some have called the move reckless. Um, Tony, I think you're one of them on, on Twitter. <laughs> Why do you think the government is doing this and how do you assess their messaging? Okay, I I haven't called the move reckless because I think the, con- the country is ready for relaxation with the level of vaccination we've got. Um, we need relaxation. We need people at sporting events. You know, as we've discussed, I'll be with 60,000 people at, at Wembley t- tonight. It doesn't, mm-hmm. that doesn't worry me at all. And no one's wearing a face mask in the stadium for people that, that, that haven't been. What I took issue with in the government's announcement was their stepping away from, from rules and moving responsibility to the individual or more specifically actually to the local authority in really really difficult situations so you had previously clear guidance on wearing a face mask you now have ministers prime ministers medical advisors saying well it's obvious you should wear a mask in a crowded tube and why don't you take your mask off if you're sitting in a carriage by yourself um but to give that choice to, to individuals is, is I think, I could, I could use the word reckless for that. I think that's just unwise and it's very difficult. And I think it puts some people in impossibly difficult situations. Um, when, a, when a local authority running a tram decides that mask wearing is going to be compulsory in their tram, 
and some people get on the tram and say, well, the government says I don't have to. That puts a huge pressure on the on the driver or, or any employee of, 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 of that network to do that. So I what I didn't like was the was was the obvious was the just murkiness of of that individual responsibility and relying on everyone to do the right thing for everybody else when what's likely to happen is mask wearing is likely to become a sort of divide in society where some people don't wear a mask to show that they believe in freedom in inverted commas and free speech and some people do wear a mask to show that they believe in community and neither of those are health things so i fear mask wearing is going to be our big divide over the next three four months and it was unnecessary and it, and it was it's driven by government error on communication it's a really interesting point because even within the the um the government uh, Robert Jenrick, for example, on Ma on Sunday said that he probably wouldn't wear a mask. And you're getting so many mixed messages from very senior people in government. So how on earth can anyone in the public, you know, find a common ground? I mean, Johnson, you know, is it well professed to be a lover of uh, individual freedom, and ideologically, I'm I'm also on board with that. However, we are in a situation that has shown time and time again where there are. Where there is hard and fast guidance and there are hard and fast rules, it has, you know, helped us in this situation. So just to quote back the word that Tony used, because it's the right word, I, I don't think the murkiness of of the uh, of the response the government have given and the, um, you know, everybody do their own thing is, is going to be particularly useful. Hopefully, because of the jab situation, we won't go back into another lockdown. But we are in a crisis and I, I think some clear guidelines and rules kind of are called for, to be honest with you, in, in this particular instance. And just if I can, just to add one thing, the what I, I, I really, the government must be in the same position as most of us. I mean, I, I do surveys in my organisation. I see client surveys. I see um, opinion and you govern other surveys. I mean, it's around 20, 25% of the population are anxious about returning to the office, about returning to work, about returning to events. So you actually, you actually know that that's the number. So you've 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 created a huge problem for those people with with high levels of anxiety, and it's quite a big mm. number. You know, my company is about twenty percent from. I don't know who they are. My, my position is we all find our own pathways back to, to to the office and our own pathways back to work. But the government knows that as well, and I think knowing that it, it's 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 doubly bad. I think knowing that level that that high level of anxiety exists in some people. Okay, let's move along to PR recruitment and salaries. Um, we published a salary survey this week that found softer growth in salaries across the industry in the past year, which probably wouldn't surprise many people. Um, but there are also some quite disturbing findings that women have felt the brunt of salary cuts. I, I want to go to um, Rachel and Tony about this. How, how have salaries gone in your agencies? On a personal basis, we've been lucky. We we grew throughout COVID, so it didn't affect us, and we've been able to, you know, reward our staff in the way um, that we would always want to. Obviously, I can't speak for other agencies. I um, we may get onto this shortly, but I think the women point is very interesting because I think not only in our industry, I know it has been reported on, but without a doubt, women have not only burn, uh, taken the brunt of, I think, some of the salary pain that has been around, but I think also the redundancy pain as well. And as I said, that's not necessarily a PR industry issue, but I think as a general trend, that is in, it's incredibly worrying. And, you know, I've seen it with my own eyes with friends 
who, you know, have been very senior, not in our industry. Their boss has managed to keep their job, who's been a male, and they've been doing a four-day week and they've been the one that's been made redundant. I don't mind saying, I think there has been, albeit perhaps unconsciously, but discrimination in that regard in terms of job losses within within the female sector. But, you know, I know we're talking about salaries, so I'm slightly getting off off piece, so to speak. Well, <laughs> it's all related, isn't it? I mean, yeah. T- Tony, what have you observed at Lanterns? Well, it really complicated story, I think. So Lanson's the same as Rachel's um, business. I mean, I mean, we, our fees grew by 4% the last financial year and our costs were 20% lower. So it, it was, you know, financial terms, it was a great year despite the, the difficulty, how difficult it was for lots of people. So we've been re-rating salaries upwards, paying good bonuses. Um, I mean, my attention in the market is... You know, New York, everyone's talking about this year as the great resignation. You know, people just, you know, and and there was a Microsoft survey, I think, three weeks ago saying 40% of all professional uh, professional workers in the world would like to change jobs this year if they can. Um, I mean, we're living through a time of, I think, the great exhaustion, the great resignation, lots of of turnover, changing of staff, changing of life situations. And that, Mm. that's... I think that's the prime driver of the London market at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not seeing people particularly moving for for increased salaries actually and that's the whole point of the great resignation isn't it it's a it's a desire for change so on on that front i i that seems to me the driver um i'm lucky although i'm a male chief executive i mean lanson's is more than 60 percent women it's more than 60 percent owned by women you know obviously women at lanson's have, have been in the same situations as women elsewhere but i feel i feel i feel we've we've done okay as as a business and i you know, 75% of our work is in financial services. I haven't seen, I, I haven't been able to spot um, what you might call discrimination, but then that's an industry that's behind the curve in terms of senior women. So that hasn't narrowed at all in this period. So it's a complex picture for me. And it's, it's I, I'm not finding it easy to sort of say it's gone one way or the other way. But I think massive staff turnover is the key driver of London agencies for the next six to 12 months. Yeah, I agree. And I think your point, I mean, to be honest with you, I think in some ways, uh, because I agree with all the market dynamics that Tony's just talked about, obviously money is important and we've got to make sure that across the industry we are paying, you know, good talent, the right money. But I sort of think currently it's a secondary factor. People are reassessing what they want from their lives. And I think the bigger challenge is how do we address that and how do we ensure our industry is somewhere that people want to remain to be? Yeah. Yeah, and, and and not specifically women, but anyone who wants a, let's say, a non-standard working life, working week compared to what we all thought was normal um, 18 months ago, there's never been a better time to change jobs in the mm-hmm. professional world anyway. Um, I wrote a piece uh, this week uh, from talking to some agency bosses and also recruiters about the current situation with recruitment. Recruitment and retention is almost always at the top of the list of challenges among agency bosses um, and in-house comms directors whenever we ask. But I think there's a real difference this time. I mean, some of them were, were referred to earlier on about the sort of, you know, the, the period of, of resignation. But I think one of the problems in the PR industry is everyone went from uh, practically zero c- recruitment over the sort of depths of the of the crisis um, to quite an active recruitment program virtually at the same time. 
So this means that there was no real pipeline. There weren't really conversations happening. Normally, you know, a lot of a lot of agencies will have sort of almost constant recruitment or certainly a sort of a, a program that's bubbling under all the time and people always being tapped up. But this went from zero to 60 in uh, in a matter of minutes, matter of seconds. You know, you get the idea. Not surprisingly, it was kind of mid-level executive roles, um, kind of account director to associate edit, uh, associate director that seemed to be the most in demand. Um but we were finding that people were also being poached even younger. One agency boss described to me an uncomfortable situation with a junior account executive who had only been there a few months, who was kind of stuck in this to and fro between a, uh, the person's current employer and their future potential employer. Whereas actually, it sounds like a good thing for them, but it isn't necessarily because sometimes they'll say what they want to do is just get settled and have their first taste of, of agency life. So we're definitely seeing that. We're seeing sometimes uncomfortable conversations around office attendance. I mean, this is a this is obviously a broader point about the uh, the opening up of offices and the sort of hybrid working models that everyone's been talking about. And I get the impression that quite a few employers are, are frustrated about some employees maybe using spurious excuses to not go in when they probably should. I know this is a delicate area and obviously some people have very justified reasons for not for not going in and each employee needs to do it on their own basis. But one agency boss told me that um, an employee didn't want to come in one day because it was raining, which I think is quite something really. And uh, we, we had some some research this week from uh, the Work Search Recruitment Agency that um, was slightly worrying for PR agencies. It said that basically seven out of 10 corporate comms professionals on a survey that they had said that they expect their next role to be in-house and only 11% said it would be an agency. In fact, more people said that they're likely to have their next role either outside the industry or going it alone or setting up their own agency than working at an agency. It should be a bit of a concern for agencies. So it'd be good to get um, views of uh, the two agency bosses on on the call about um, recruitment at the moment and, and what you make of these trends. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, to be honest with you, John, everything you've uh, just said about recruitment trends is true. I think particularly in terms of the pipeline piece, you know, um, we did recruit last year, but we definitely weren't sort of nourishing the pipeline in the same way that we would have done in normal circumstances. Um, And now we need to recruit quite heavily. So it feels a bit like starting from stock. I think, you know, the challenge we've got as an industry is, is one we touched on earlier, which is ultimately we have to be fantastic employers. We have to provide people with a, you know, a fulfilling and um, creative and um, challenging in a really positive way environment so they feel that they're getting the best out of it. Um, and I think we're really going to have to focus on that because people are reevaluating their options and it is a buyer's market. But I think at the same time, if we do all take that challenge on, then hopefully it will you know, help the land agency landscape evolve in terms of what it looks like for potential um, recruits and we'll only be better for it. It's no use agency people moaning if 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 their their stuff think in-house is better. Um it's it's about competing. It's about making what we offer attractive and lively and vibrant, but also as long term as, as secure and as well remunerated and as feel good. Um yeah. and I think that's the that's the challenge. I I suspect we're going to go into some kind of unknown world. I mean, at, at Lancers, we, we, you know, we, we've have, we'd had a history of, we always take lots of people at account executive level, you know, pr- probably in an average year, you know, between five and, and 15, depending on the type of, of year. And we have a long history of those people staying for five, 10, 15, even 20, 25 years, their whole career. Um, that model's probably gone. Um, I suspect so. Uh, I, 
companies that used to do that will now establish themselves with people. Those people may leave for a bit and we'll try and attract them back. So alumni networks become the focus and people having seven or eight roles or people wanting change throughout their lives. I think, I mean, I personally think it's just, it's going to be just as exciting as every other period. It's just different. Um, And I'm I'm, I'm really excited by it. And, you know, if young people have got more choices, well, it's bloody good, isn't it? Good for them. Well, I'm afraid that is all we have time for. Thank you, Rachel, Tony and John for joining us. And a big thank you to our producer, Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio for putting this episode together. If you'd like to read more about all the issues in PR, please visit our website, prweek.com forward slash UK. Thank you for listening today and please join us next week. Until then, goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.